The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 24th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see me, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, what the Messiah is to suffer, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace to you in peace in the name of Jesus, our risen Lord. Amen. Wait a minute. Peace be with you. Did I repeat the reading from last week? Anyone else have this deja vu to the gospel reading from last week? Because we heard these exact words numerous times, peace be with you, from John's gospel last week. And now... We are hearing it from another account from the Gospel of Luke. So basically, it's a similar account of the same post-resurrection encounters just told from different perspectives. And that might seem redundant to you and me, but perhaps there is some merit to considering both like we are called to do in our lectionary cycle of readings. And maybe it's because there is more to understand about Jesus' familiar greeting, for example, that we've now heard two weeks in a row. Maybe it's more than a simple, hello, don't be afraid. Like last week with the story of Thomas and his doubts, let's try to understand what these disciples have been through and consider what Jesus is calling them to in the wake of his resurrection. Because... In reality, it is the same calling that we as followers of Jesus and therefore a resurrect, as a resurrected Easter people fall in line with. And like our second reading from 1 John says, that we should be called children of God because that is what we are. We should live into this identity. So there is Jesus standing in the midst of his closest friends, his disciples, that is meant to represent us, by the way. And he says to them, Shalom. And this loosely translated comes across as, Peace be with you. This is unfortunately not a very adequate attempt to put Shalom into English words because Shalom means much more than just peace. 
Or peace means much more than what we think it means. Since shalom is meant to convey that all is well in the world, all is just, all is fair, all is the way that God means it to be, it ultimately means so much more. A full expression of the word could be rendered as something like, what are you doing to make the world look more like God's world than like Caesar's world? with Caesar standing in for whatever principalities and powers look like in any given era. Any empire, any ruler, any government, any multinational corporations or markets, anything of the like. And appropriately, the disciples are started, startled. The dead one is on the loose, and they are terrified. Because... Holy moly, Jesus is there in their presence. All of a sudden, he was dead, and now he is there again. And he still has shalom on his mind. Always has, always does, and always will. Jesus then asks the disciples, Why are you frightened? Could it be because the last time we saw you, Jesus, you were dead, hanging on a Roman cross, soldiers all around, angry people all around, and well, as far as we knew, dead is dead. And well, here Jesus seems to say that is true enough. Here, look at the wounds in my hands, see my hands, see my feet. So upon examining his hands and feet, hands and feet that have had nails in them, spikes really, driven through them, the disciples are filled with joy, but also it's tinged with disbelief. They still think that he may be a ghost, but nevertheless, they feel joyful. Lots of mixed emotions, to say the least. It can be a very difficult thing to process. Then the real Jesus steps forward, and he says, Have you anything to eat? Didn't he say, always say that you have to come to God's kingdom like a child? And how many times a day do children look at their parents and say, I'm hungry, what is there to eat? This happens almost every 10 minutes with our, with our middle son, Espen, wanting a snack all day long. Apparently, as in real life, so it is in the resurrection of the dead, we need something to eat, something to sustain us, something to nourish us, and so does Jesus. And he wants us to feed him. And so how are we to respond to this simple yet direct request? The disciples have some broiled fish on hand and offer it to him. There is evidence that in the early church, uh, as it was with the feeding of the four to 5,000, there were likely bread and fish Eucharists, holy meals that they celebrated. There are even illustrations of such on walls of early catacombs in the Far East. There are still places in Europe I've, I've read about where the Eucharist is still a foot-washing ritual with devoid of bread and wine, as the fourth evangelist John depicts in The Last Supper. That is, things are not always as they seem. And yet Jesus is hungry. He wants something to eat, so they give him fish. And he eats the fish. 
There is a powerful message in the simple here, dear friends. Resurrected bodies need nourishment too. And perhaps we need to pay attention to what happens next. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That is what is referred to as the law and the prophets. This suggests that perhaps his hunger is not only for fish, not only for bread, not only for wine. Jesus is still hungry post-resurrection, just as he was before. We would do well to consider the source of his hunger before we are so quick to offer him something to satisfy his hunger. An in-depth understanding of the Torah and the prophets is to be the starting place. Jesus was vexed with his contemporary scholars of his time. He felt the application of the Torah of the Jewish law and the prophets had gone too far away from the direction that God intended. Instead of bringing God's people, all people together, the administration, the understanding of God's rules, beginning with the Ten Commandments, was doing more to separate God's people than to bring them together. And this frustration made Jesus hungry. Hungry for freedom, hungry for justice, hungry for shalom, for all people. Not some people, not most people, not lots of people, all people. Had he not made it clear that the hungry were to be fed, the naked clothed, the prisoner visited, the sick made well, the stranger, the resident alien called and welcomed into our community. The thirsty given something to drink. Had he not self-identified with all of these people, including lepers, prostitutes, orphans, Gentiles. In a Christian church, dear friends, that is increasingly consumed with power struggles within and without a church looking for the next great public relations strategy to attract people, a church consumed with creating dividing lines between correct and incorrect belief, a church consumed with parking within the lines, a church consumed with chastising those who devote too much time to issues of social justice. We need to be a church consumed with everything that is embodied in those words of Jesus. Shalom, peace be with you. It is too difficult to see that Jesus, who promises to be present in the bread and wine when we are online and not together with each other as the body of Christ. But the truth is Jesus is always with us in those that we don't know too. Those that make us uncomfortable, be it stranger or prisoner, or homeless person on the street, or prostitute, or the person who cuts us off in traffic. Jesus calls us to the challenges of the tension of the temporal and the eternal, the temporary and the life that God gives in eternity. It is difficult to see that being raised from the dead after three days has now returned and is with us for all of eternity, that that is for us too. 
Jesus calls us to repentance and tells us that forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed to all nations, to all persons. And we are witnesses to these things. Are we really being witnesses to these things? The things that Jesus is hungry for, the things that we are called to be hungry for. The risen Lord, blessed be his name, is hungry. What in the world are we prepared to offer him? What in the world are we prepared to give him? How shall our witness satisfy his hunger? And it is possible that his shalom is not a greeting at all, but rather a request, a charge, a calling. Are we prepared to give him this shalom that he spoke of and that he died for? Are we still satisfied to just offer a piece of broiled fish because Jesus' hunger is far greater than a broiled fish can satisfy? And he wants us to be hungry too. How will we respond so that his hunger can be satisfied? We know what it'll take. But like our text from 1 John says, we do not fully understand what we will be when that shalom is truly lived out. But right now we are God's children called to that end, peace for all and in all. And in these great 50 days of Easter, we continue upon this work. We seek to fill the hungry with good things. Amen.